Are you ready for the word of the Lord? Would you give this wonderful man of God a good hand tonight? God bless you, Brother Christy. Love you, sir. Are you thankful for your pastor, the first lady, the man? Thankful that they're back home with us. And uh, I'm thankful that um, he's my pastor. Amen. And I'm thankful to have a pastor. Every person needs a shepherd in their life. And that's what that essentially means, is a shepherd. Why is that? Because we all have a tendency to wonder, and we all need the leadership. So I'm thankful that we have the ultimate shepherd, the great shepherd, who is Jesus Christ. And I'm thankful that you're here tonight. There's such a sweet presence of the Lord here. I love the song that they sung today about the name of Jesus. And that one little phrase, you have no rival, you have no equal. There is no one like Jesus. Aren't you thankful that you know who he is? You know he's on the throne. You believe that? I said he's on the throne. Whatever you're facing, he's Lord over, King over. Whatever the person standing next to you is going through, he has an answer for. Could you just reach over and touch your neighbor's shoulder and say, Lord, I thank you right now for ministering every need in this room, every situation, every circumstance, Lord. Ah, Oh, thank you for being in this space. Thank you for being in this space. Thank you, Jesus. Just feel like we can just breathe him in. I know it's Wednesday night, but the Lord is here to do something tonight. I believe that. You know what's been in my spirit the last couple of days, and I'm going to get to my notes. I'm trying to stand. Is that okay? Look, I even took a couple steps. No, no crutches. So the Lord is helping me. But you know what the, the Lord has impressed to me the last couple of days, and maybe this is... Just for me, but I'll share it with you. Is that okay? Anything that you're going through right now has an expiration date. I know that was simple. Two or three of you got that, but I just want to remind you, anything that you're going through right now, any dilemma, problem, situation, circumstance that you're facing has an expiration date. If God allowed you to go through it, he's going to bring you all the way through. Amen? Amen. Amen. Psalms 37, we've enjoyed this series, and I know that you're ready for pastor to be back preaching. He'll be preaching Sunday, and we're looking forward to that. Psalms 37, you also have a handout, hopefully, um, in your... Thing. Some of you were asking for two weeks ago. We have copies of that. If you'll just see Sissy, wave your hand. If you don't know Sissy, wave your hand, Sissy. Everybody knows you. But if you don't know her, if you want that last week's, uh, two weeks ago, she has copies of that. Psalms 37. And David is in his mature years. And he is addressing in Psalms 37. We don't have time to go through all of it, but... He's addressing a problem that so many of us as believers have encountered over the centuries. Why does it seem that the wicked, those who seem, who live unrighteously, 
seem to prosper. And those who want to try to live righteously seem not to prosper. And here's what David's going to give us tonight. And we're going to break this down and walk through the first few scriptures of this. But he's going to give us the long view. The eternal view. Everybody say the eternal view. Because this world is not our home. I said this world is not our home. We're strangers and sojourners. And we're passing through. So we have the opportunity not to just be fixated on what is happening in front of us. But what's about to come. Lord, I thank you for your word tonight. I thank you for your sweet presence. I thank you for your glory and your power. Lord, I just pray right now that you would take something that we would say, let it be alive. Let your word go forth and do its work. Let it be as a seed that is planted into living ground in Jesus' name. If you're thankful for the word of God before you're seated, could you put your hands together one more time? Amen. I put this in your notes because I don't um, have time to go through all of it. But uh, Brother Gavin, I think it's ringing up here. I don't know if it's ringing out there, but it's ringing up here. David gives us four encouraging assurances. And this is essentially the breakdown of this chapter. And we're going to read here in just a second. But I wanted to share this with you because I want you to take this home. I hope you, how many of you write in your Bible? You write in your Bible. Okay, good, good. I'm in, I'm in a good company here. You write in your Bible and, and you outline. I, I want you to highlight tonight. But there's four sections in this chapter. And there's four reasons. Everybody say four reasons that we know that God is in control. Look at your neighbor and say, I know that God is in control. Verses 1 through 11, God can be trusted. Everybody say, God can be trusted. Verses 12 through 20, God understands my situation. In other words, God is not some distant God and who is disconnected from what I'm going through. Amen. Verse 21 through 31, God blesses his people even in the midst of the situation that we're going through. And the last part of this chapter, the Lord will judge the wicked. Ladies and gentlemen, there's coming a day. Amen. I said there's coming a day when God is going to judge all unrighteousness. And, and so for time's sake, I'm not going to be able to go through all of this, but I want us to concentrate tonight, uh, hopefully on the first 11 verses. About three or four years ago, this has been one of my favorite Psalms for a long time. And you know how it is with, with, with certain scriptures, right? We like, we just kind of, I, I call them like candy sticks. We like to pick them out. Anybody do that? And you go to it or you quote it or you half quote it or you quote part of it. And Maybe sometimes you quote it out of context, and we've all done that. But there are so much here. And then about three years ago or so, Pastor, I was reading through this. I was in prayer. I was actually at my dad's church uh, praying for a service, and I was just reading through this psalm. And I believe that there is a formula here. Everybody say a formula. I believe that there's a formula here for spiritual inheritance. Let me say that again. There's a formula here for spiritual inheritance. So let's read verse three. Everybody say, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord and trust also in him. There's that word again. And he shall bring it to pass. And he shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Rest in the Lord. Everybody say rest. Rest in the Lord. And what? Wait patiently. 
on him. There's that hard part, that waiting patiently. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Cease, everybody say cease. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret, it only causes harm. For evildoers will be cut off. Verse 9, but those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. Who inherits? Those who what? Wait on the Lord. So this verse here, these section of verses, we're really going to concentrate just, just so you'll know. We're really going to go through this kind of hopefully exegetically. That just means that we're teaching from the Bible, uh, verse by verse and we're, we're taking the text and we're trying to unwrap all the meaning that's here. It's kind of like a good steak, right? How many of you like a good steak and you want to get everything you can out of the steak? Right? How many of you eat the gristle? You nibble on the bone? Come on, somebody. All right? That's not all of us, but some of us, right? You're going to get it, especially when you pay for a high dollar steak. You're going to get everything you can. But the Word of God has layers. Everybody say layers. And there's so much here that we could take for granted because we've read these texts and they're familiar to us. But there's a lot here that we can apply to our everyday life. So David is reminding us in verse 1, he says, do not fret. For because of evildoers, the word here fret in the Hebrew actually means to burn, to get overheated, zealous with anger. David is reminding us that yes, it appears that evil and wickedness are having their way. But he wants us to see through what? The long lens of eternity. And there is coming a day when the evil will not prosper, but it will be judged. I'm sure if you're like me, there's at some point in time in your life when we have wondered about the prosperity of those who seem far from God. Anyone can testify to that? I'm a huge sports fan and uh, basketball. uh, uh, I'm not a basketball fan, but I pay attention to sports and the contracts that are being written uh, for these athletes. They're two hundred and fifty, three hundred million dollars. And I'm thinking to myself, Lord, that money could go to a great missions project somewhere. Amen. I'm not I'm not calling them evil, but you look at the prosperity of those people that seem so far from God. And you're saying, God, what is going on? This could be a blessing for somebody else. But David says, guess what? There's an antidote to this. In other words, there's a response to this. Everybody say an antidote. How many know what an antidote is? Right. I think we know what an antidote is by now. Uh, going through COVID. But David says there's an antidote to this thinking. And he's saying, look, I want you to get your eyes off of what's going on around you in this immediate world. And I want you to get a long view. Everybody say a long view. We're in this for a long haul. Ladies and gentlemen, discipleship is a long journey in the same direction, someone said. So David, beginning in verse 3, gives us an antidote to this kind of thinking. And so here's where I want you to start underlining. Get, show me your pencil or your pen if you're underlining. All right, that's good. I hope that you'll underline this verse. He says, trust. Circle that word right there. Trust. Somebody shout that out to me. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his righteousness. Here's what David is saying in connection to verse 1. He is saying, I cannot have a trusting heart and a fretful heart at the same time. Let me say that again. I can't have a trusting heart and a fretful heart at the same time. In other words, I can't have a heart filled with worry and a heart filled with worship at the same time. 
What are we trusting in? I'm trusting in God's plan. I'm trusting in God's purpose. I'm trusting in God's heart. I'm trusting in what? God's word. I'm trusting in his promises. And David is saying, get your eyes off the wickedness of this world and its system. Put on the eyesight of faith and learn to trust in God. Amen? Clarity only comes through faith, ladies and gentlemen. Clarity only comes through faith, and faith comes through trust. If I tell you, trust me, how many of you have said that or heard that? How many of you, how many of you it turned out not very good? <laughs> what does that presuppose? I am asking you to trust that I know what I'm talking about. I know what's about to take place and I know what the outcome is. Is God omniscient, all-knowing? Yes, he is. Is God omnipresent, all places at all times? Yes, he is. Is God omnipotent, all-powerful to the point that nothing is out of his control? Then ladies and gentlemen, if it is yes to all three of those things and there's more, then God deserves to be trusted. How many of you believe that tonight? God deserves to be trusted. Out of the 68 times the phrase trust in the Lord is used in the New King James Version, which I'm teaching from you tonight, 35 of those times are in the Psalms. David understood something about trusting in God. Did his faith get weak? I'm sure. Did he forget what God had promised him? I'm sure he did. But he knew that God was faithful even when David was not. We are serving a God that is faithful even when we are not faithful to God. One of my favorite authors said it this way. I have learned that having faith means trusting God in advance for what will only make sense in reverse. Let me say that again. I have learned that faith means trusting God in advance for what will only make sense in reverse. What is he saying? It doesn't make sense right now what I have faith for, but God is working it out for my good and for his glory. Let me say that again. God's working it out for his glory and for my good, and it will make sense through the eyes of faith when I get on the other side of this. I love what David says. He said, we should feed on God's faithfulness. We talked through Psalms 23 a couple of weeks ago, and this is connected. The same language is here. One's translation says, if you will trust in God, you will enjoy God's safe pasture. All of this comes from trust. Everybody say trust. Let's look at verse four. Now we know the second part of this verse, right? He shall give you the desires of the I thank the Lord. He's going to give me the desires of my heart. How many of you prayed that? You've said that. You've spoken that, right? By faith. And you know what we did? We left out the front part. And we do it all the time. But what does he say? I want you to circle it. Delight. Everybody say delight. Circle that. Underline that. Delight yourself also in the Lord and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Here's the first thing I want to say about this. And hear me very carefully. There is no way to delight in the Lord if you don't first learn to trust him. Let me say that again. There is no way for me to delight in the Lord if I do not first learn to trust him. I think this is the first part of the formula. To delight, I must trust. What does this mean? It means I must set my affections on God himself first before looking to him for a provision. 
Too many times we come to God and seek his hand, a handout, his provision, before we seek his face, which is his presence. Ladies and gentlemen, we cannot delight in someone or something that we don't spend time with. And there is no promise of more things. This is not a promise of things. This is a promise for those who want more of God. If it is our delight to spend time with God, this is speaking to the abundance of blessings that we find in God himself. Ladies and gentlemen, you know what the gospel is all about? The gospel is not some get out of hell free card. The gospel is us as humanity, broken, wounded, hurting, sinful, rebellious creatures. We get God living on the inside of us. One commentator said to enjoy the blessing and to ignore the blesser is to practice idolatry. For me to delight myself in God means I'm trusting in God for who he is. Everybody say for who he is. Not just what he can do. In other words, pastor preached this several months ago. I remember hearing him preach this right before we came over here. If you can't hear God's voice, know that you can still trust God's heart. Amen. I am delighting myself in God because God delights in me. Did you know that the Lord delights in you? He delights in you. Know that he created creation for you. Amen. He created all of this so that you could stand in wonder and awe of a mighty great God. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. We talked about the wonder and the presence of creation revealing who God is. But God delights in us. Look at your neighbor and say, God delights in you. Proverbs says, the blameless are in his, their ways are his delight. God delights to spend time with us in prayer. God delights to spend time with us in worship. God delights to spend time with us through his word. One of the most powerful things that you can do in your relationship with God is to get into a quiet place, open your Bible and say, Lord, teach me about yourself from your word. I'm not leaving this spot till you speak to me from your word. I'm turning every distraction off. I'm putting my phone in the other room. That's what I've got to do. I'm putting my phone in the other room. It's just me and you, Lord. I want to hear from you. The Bible makes staggering promises for people who delight in God rather than things. See how the end of this verse uh, says, he shall give you the desires of your heart. Everybody say the desires of your heart. The desires of God's heart is for us to delight in him. And if we will learn to do that, then ladies and gentlemen, he will give us the desires of our heart. Every one of us have desires. You know why? Because God put those in you. All God's gifts are good, but a desire can be misused, abused, and perverted. Fire is good in a fireplace, right? But it's not good if it's your draperies in your bedroom catching on fire. There are good desires in your life and there are bad desires in your life. There are appropriate and inappropriate desires. Helpful, harmful, constructive, and destructive. And when you hear me very carefully, I should have put this in your notes, but you should write this down. When I pray persistently, my desires get filtered. When I pray consistently, my desires get filtered and God reveals what desires are good and which ones are not. And usually when our desires align with God's desires for us, that's when we see God moving in our life. 
Usually when God shows up, God shows up when our desires and God's desires lines up. This reminds me of the promise that God gives us in Romans 8.32. One of my most favorite verses in Romans 8, Paul says this, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also what? Freely what? Give us what? Some things. A few things. What? All things. Everybody say all things. What is Paul saying here? Ladies and gentlemen, this is staggering. This verse alone tonight is worth the price of your admission. He's essentially saying, if I did the most difficult thing, which was to die for your sins, then what makes you think I can't do the easier things? If I did the most difficult thing to pay the price for your salvation, what makes you think that I can't heal you? What makes you think that I can't provide for you? What makes you think that I can't bring your son or daughter home? What makes you think that I can't fix your marriage? But it all starts with us learning what? How to delight. Everybody say delight. Delight ourselves in the Lord. Look at verse 5. Everybody say commit. Circle that, underline that. Commit your way. Now, there's a word we don't like. Delight was good. That sounded like Dairy Queen, right? That was nice and fluffy. You know what I'm saying? But commit, that's the word. We don't like that. But here's this other word again, trust. Commit your way to the Lord and trust in him also. And what? And he shall what? He shall what? He, sh- he maybe shall bring it to pass or he what? Shall bring it to pass. The Hebrew word here for commit literally means to roll off your burdens. The understanding here is that God is not removing our burdens to make us care less, but to help us become more focused on surrendering our purpose and our plan to him. One day Jesus was teaching. He said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will do what? I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest in your souls. I love that verse right there because this is the one time that Jesus really explains the heart of who he is. I am gentle and I am lowly, and you will find rest in your souls. For what? For my yoke is what? It's easy. And my burden is light. What did this mean? His audience knew what a yoke means. How many of you know what a yoke looks like? You can picture it in your mind, right? In the ancient times, it was this big piece of apparatus that took two oxen and they put them together and it did what? It helped them pull forward. It helped them stay connected. It helped them move forward, right? With heavy burdens. But in a Jewish society, a rabbi who was a teacher like Jesus, his followers took up their yoke of teachings as he led them. They literally bound themselves to the weight of whatever that rabbi was teaching. So Jesus comes on the scene as a rabbi with followers, and he says, hey, over here, boys, if you'll follow me and commit yourself to my teaching, you'll find rest not just for your body, but you'll find rest for your soul. Why? Because my teachings are not weighed down by the law, by the weight of the law, and by man's interpretation of the law, but my way is easy and light and life-giving. 
If you'll follow me and you'll take on my yoke, it's easy and it is life-giving. Ladies and gentlemen, trusting in Jesus to the point of commitment is the highest level of faith. Let me say that again. Trusting in Jesus to the point of commitment is the highest level of faith. I love this story. Maybe you've heard it before. There was a high uh, wire walker. Have you ever seen that? You know, they walk across. You've seen those, maybe some videos. People try to walk across Grand Canyon, maybe at the circus. And there was a man who went to Niagara Falls. How many of you have ever seen a picture of Niagara Falls? You've been there. And he said, I'm going to walk across. They put a wire all the way across Niagara Falls from one side of the border to the other. He says, I'm going to walk across. And he looked at the crowd. There was a great crowd there. And they said, how many of you believe that I can make it all the way across? And everybody was shouting, yes, we believe you can do it. And at that moment, he pulled up a wheelbarrow and put the wheelbarrow up on the rope. And he said, how many of you want to get in the wheelbarrow and go with me? (laughs) All of a sudden, there was a separation (laughs) between belief and commitment. Right? See, there's a difference between thinking something is possible and then making the commitment to trust God that he's going to bring it to pass no matter how I feel about it. I love this quote by Rick Warren. He said, nothing shapes your life more than the commitments that you choose to make. Let me say this very carefully. And I don't want to sound negative, but I just want to, I want to say this very carefully. I think this is a very mature audience and you're going to understand exactly what I'm saying here tonight. I, I, I hope and pray. But let me tell you something, not to sound negative, but coming to church for an hour on Sunday and checking the attendance box is not a high level of commitment. Jesus did not come and die an agonizing death on the cross, rise on the third day just to get you here for one hour on Sunday. He came and he died and he rose again to give you and I life more abundantly so that we could go out into this world and push against the armies of darkness with the light of the gospel. Pastor said it at Easter. God did not die to make you safe. He died to make you dangerous. When I commit my way to the Lord, it is my 24 hour, seven days a week, walking around, doing life, making disciples, spreading the gospel, speaking life, serving in the kingdom, making a difference to those who are in need. That's the kind of commitment that the psalmist is talking about right here. Commit your way. Everybody say commit. Let me say this, and I think it's in your notes. We become what we're committed to. We become what we're committed to. And he says... He says, I will bring it to pass without the first understanding of commitment and trust. The ultimate act of trust is to bring something to God and to leave it in his hands without picking it up again. And you know what? That's not easy for any of us. Everybody say commit. Look at verse seven. Is this helping somebody? Is this, are you with me so far on this journey? Let's look quickly at verse seven. Rest. Everybody say rest. Circle that word. Rest where? In the Lord. And wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way. The verb here, rest, is to literally mean to be silent and still. So for those of us in our current world, in our current culture, resting in silence is totally contrary to the world that we live in. Why? Because it's filled with busyness and what? Noise. Everybody say noise. How many of you are every day you're surrounded with nothing but noise? 
And everybody you talk to says what? How are you doing? I've been busy. And you know what I think it is sometimes, Pastor? I think we're just busy with a bunch of noise. Just because we're busy doesn't mean we're being productive. But we will never learn how to rest silently before the Lord. If, if, we never, if we never learn how to rest silently before the Lord, we will never experience God's peace in our life. When we choose to wait patiently on God instead of fretting, it's actually a statement of faith. We're making a declaration about God's character. When we wait patiently, you're saying, I trust God and have faith in Him. You're humbly admitting that you're dependent on God. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you that 16 weeks ago yesterday, I did not have the plan in my life to fall and break my leg. I didn't intentionally go out and do that, by the way. Right? Just so I could take some time off. And so you know what I had to do? I had to stop. Because I'm used to always going. And the Lord had to recalibrate my thinking about how productive I really was. And he had to re-engineer the way that I was thinking. And I had to get to a place day after day after day where I rested in the peace of God in silence without doing anything and saying, Lord, On the other side of this, you're going to take care of it and we're going to come out of this. I don't know what the lesson is, but you're obviously wanting to teach us something. And if it's the only lesson is to have faith and trust in you, that's what I'm going to learn from it. Amen. Amen? Amen. So God allows us, God, I I want to be very careful here. God will allow things, not allow us to go through things, but he will use things. Are you with me? Say, Brother David, did God make you fall and break your leg? No, but he didn't waste it. He won't waste it. All right. So he didn't cause it. That's just me being a human being. Right. Falling down in the mud on a slick concrete sidewalk. He didn't cause it, but he's going to use it. But here's the thing. We get into the middle of situations like that and we forget what God is trying to work out of us. Amen. And so for the last 16 weeks, God has been working some things out of me. And part of it is making sure that I can slow down and be quiet before the Lord. A few years ago, um, I have mighty, mighty prayer warriors as parents. Incredible people. You met my mom a couple weeks ago. She's an incredible lady. My dad's an incredible man of God. I hope that you'll meet him soon. I've always grown up, Pastor, with the understanding to pray is to say a lot of words. Right? And the more that we can talk, the faster we can talk, the harder we can talk, the more we can sling some sweat. The more anointed we'll be. We'll be effective. And the Lord about, I don't know, five or six years ago said, time out. How about instead of you saying everything, you just like be quiet and just listen. And it's not that I'd never been in a place in my life where I didn't hear the Lord speak to me. Please don't get me wrong. But I'm talking about how about you just not say anything for like two hours. Now, Lord, are you sure about that? Because I feel like I got a lot of stuff to unload here. 
But here's what God was trying to teach me. God was trying to teach me that he could do more in my silence, in my spirit, man, than me doing two hours worth of talking. Now, did I need to talk to him? Absolutely, I need to talk to him. I think you understand what I'm talking about. We get into this place where we have to grow into a place of maturity and say, Lord, I'm not going to do all the talking. I'm going to be in a place of silence, and I just want you to reveal yourself to me. That is a place of trust. Everybody say a place of trust. God gives a covenant promise to Isaiah to the children of Israel. He says, for thus saith the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest, you shall be saved. Everybody say rest. And quietness and confidence shall be your what? Shall be your strength. He's reminding Israel of what had been lost to them because of their sinful rejection of God and His Word. Because Isaiah is talking to Israel in a place of captivity. When I truly rest in God, it is an act of faith. It is me telling God and myself that I am ceasing from my striving. I'm ceasing from my works. I am trusting that you are still at work while I rest. Amen. 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 Verse 8 and 9 helps us further along in our discovery. David says, cease. Everybody say cease. Circle that, underline that. What does he say cease from? He says cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. Why? Because it only causes harm. For evildoers shall be cut off. But those who what? Wait. Everybody say wait. Those who wait, they shall inherit. You need to circle that. They shall inherit the earth. Okay, cease from anger and forsake wrath for the evildoers shall be cut off. But those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. I want to say this very quickly and we'll get past it. Anger is a challenge for many of us. And you know where most of our anger comes from when we don't get our way. I'm just that's me personally. I think if we're honest, we're living in a angry culture. If you spend any time online, everybody's angry. It is a low burn, a low grade fever of anger and of cynicism and irritation that's always around us. If someone pulls out in front of us in traffic, if someone bumps into us in the grocery line at the grocery store, our anger meter goes up. And here's what David is saying. He's saying that anger is totally contrary to us delighting and trusting in the Lord. Ladies and gentlemen, we can't be angry and delight in the Lord at the same time. David wants us to know the danger of living in anger. It doesn't take a prophetic spirit tonight to know just statistically that there are people here under the sound of my voice that deal with the spirit of anger. And it's a continuous process to make sure that the Holy Ghost leads you through the process of getting victory over that. And I've dealt with several friends who have the spirit of anger. I've had men uh, that that have been a part of our congregation literally stand in my face in the middle of the church building and curse me out and curse God out because they're dealing with the spirit of anger. And you know what the root of most of all of their anger is? Is that they're angry with God. Because they feel like God has let them down and not done what He's said He would do. 
Again, David wants us to see that we cannot put our trust in God and delight in Him if we are filled with anger. Why? Because the anger only causes harm. Anger, ladies and gentlemen, always leads to destruction. Let me say that again. Anger always leads to destruction. One day I was praying. I said this earlier, but I want to say it again. One day I was praying through several scriptures in this chapter. I had already highlighted them. And all of a sudden, in the Holy Ghost, I was quickened to start circling certain words all the way through verse 9. It didn't start like the rest of them, but all of a sudden the words were there. And what's on the screen, if you'll go to that next slide, what's on the screen is what stood out to me in the Holy Ghost. And it was like my Bible had neon letters, Pastor. And what stood out to me and what came to me in the Holy Ghost is this. There is a formula for truly inheriting the promises of God. If I learn to trust, then I can delight. This is in your notes. If I learn to trust, then I can delight. If I learn to delight, then I can easily lead a life of commitment. If I am trusting and delighting and committed, then I can truly rest. And when I rest, then I will cease from having to compare myself and I can wait on the Lord. If I will do these things, then it will lead me into a place of inheritance. What am I inheriting? I am inheriting every promise that God has for me. The God that we serve is the covenant-keeping God of Israel. And He is the same God that we have today. The God that, that is, this is referring to in Psalms 37 is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if I learn to trust, if I learn to delight, if I learn to live in a place of commitment and rest and cease, then I will find myself living in a place of inheritance. All the promises that God has for me are mine. All the promises to Abraham and to Israel and the word of God in our life are ours. All these promises are ours. I don't know about you, but I am thankful. I said, I am thankful that God has given us promises that we have not even received yet, but that we are going to receive. David says in verse 11, and I'm done, that the meek shall inherit the earth and delight themselves in the abundance of peace. The commentator said that, The best worst usage of the term meek literally is this, and hear me very carefully. The meek are those who choose the way of patient faith. Patient faith instead of self-assertion. The Passion Translation says, but the humble of art will inherit every promise and enjoy abundant peace. Ladies and gentlemen, those who trust delightfully, resting, And waiting on God and patient faith will have a far 
greater inheritance than those who are forceful and aggressive and overly confident. David would say in Psalm 25, he says, if a man walk in reverence of God, he himself shall dwell in prosperity and his descendants shall inherit the earth. So God is not just talking about spiritual promises, ladies and gentlemen. God is talking about physical promises. God is talking about spiritual and physical promises. God wants to give you the promises of his word and the formula is right here. But we must learn to follow after what God is calling us to do. But our challenge is, is that we all have difficulties All of us, most likely, have difficulties in one area or not. If we'll be honest, and if I took a poll here today, some of us have difficulties trusting God. Right? Some of us have difficulties delighting in God. We don't even understand maybe what that is. I I hope that you do by tonight. A lot of people have trouble just committing, committing their lives to God. I'm not talking about the fact that you've you've come to the Lord and you've repented. I'm not talking about that, but I'm talking about a deep level of commitment to walk out a lifestyle of discipleship. Rest patiently before the Lord. Taking things to God and saying, Lord, I'm going to take my hands off of it and I'm going to let you work. Anybody am I talking to tonight? How many of you are staying right now and say, David, that's, that's me. One of these areas, just stand. David is calling us to an understanding. I hope that you, when you read this chapter, you never read this chapter like you've done before. I hope that these words will shine out to you like a billboard. Trust, delight, commit, rest, cease, and then inherit. I love the end of this, or later on in the the chapter he says, and the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down. Why? For the Lord upholds him with his hand. I'm thankful, ladies and gentlemen, that even though we may not see the end of it, we may not see, we may not even understand how it's going to turn out. Whatever situation or circumstance that we're facing tonight, we know that God can see the end of it. And he's calling us tonight as a family. I know it's Wednesday night and I'm preaching to the choir, but he's calling us tonight as a family. I believe that he's calling us in this season as a church family to say, look, if you'll give this to me and you'll rest in my word and my promise, I promise you that I'm going to take care of it. You will inherit the promises of God. I believe in that. I'm believing. You should get up in the morning and say, Lord, I thank you today for answered prayers. Amen. We should get up and declare it. A lot of times we pray, we spend, I'm guilty just as anybody else. 
We pray, we spend all of our time praying the problem, not the solution. Lord, I thank you. It, it, it's, it's so overwhelming, God. I, I, I came over by myself today. I traveled by myself for the first time. And I spent almost my entire three hours over here just worshiping and, and talking to the Lord about tonight. And there is so much that could, I could look at in my life and say, Lord, how are you going to fix this? How are you going to do this? How are you going to provide there? How are you going to make a way there? I'm, I'm waiting. And I keep going back to what I've talked to you about tonight. Lord, I've got to learn. I'm still learning. I said, I'm still learning. And when I get up tomorrow on Thursday morning, Lord willing, I'm going to have to do it again and say, Lord, I know you've got a promise for me. I'm going to walk in that word. I'm going to walk in that word. I'm going to walk in that promise. I know that that answer is coming. It may not look like the answer that I want it to be, but I know that it's going to take place because that's your word. And so I'm going to rest. I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to take my hands off of it. And I'm going to say, Lord, work as only you can. As pastor always reminds us, the Lord can do more in five minutes than we can do in a whole lot of weeks. Amen. Here's what I like to do. We're, we're done. It's, I know I've gone over a few minutes. But right before you leave, could you just walk to the front of this building tonight? Praise team's going to come. They're going to sing. Can we just take a moment and lift our hands and say, Lord, situation, circumstance. I keep going back to what I said at the beginning. There's an expiration date for what you're going through. Dilemma, problem, challenge. Lord, we just come to you tonight, right now, at the end of this service. It's a Wednesday night. I know everybody's tired. They're ready to go home. But God, some of us are fighting some things. And your sweet presence is here tonight. And your word. I may have done a horrible job delivering it, Lord, but it's still your word. And your word is active. It's a powerful two-edged sword. And Lord, it's going forth. And as we speak it, declare it, and receive it tonight, it's going forth in the middle of our situations. It's going forth in the middle of marriages. It's going forth in the middle of children who are lost, who are strung out, who are a long ways from you, Lord. It's going forth in the middle of a financial situation that's it seems like it's overwhelming to us, God. It's going forth, Lord, and you're reminding us tonight that you're a promise-keeping God. And so, Lord, tonight I'm going to go home and I'm going to cease. I'm going to rest. I'm going to do everything that I can to just give it to you and put it on the altar and say, Lord, it's yours. I can't fix it anyway. I tried. Look at the mess it's now. How many of you feel that tonight? Anybody? Am I the only one? Am I preaching to myself? It's okay if I am, because I need it. I know we got to go, but let's just praise the Lord one more time. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your sweet presence. Hello, about it,
you love them speak life into them we love you we can't wait to see you Sunday morning 10 o'clock bring somebody I hope it makes sense. 